Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, or the dark forces of Terre. It is not intended for children. I was sitting in a diner in the suburbs outside of Boston, Massachusetts, trying to forget my bad mood and that professional for my meeting with Miss Violet Hunter. Old Tom never failed to do a number on me, probably by design. He was right. He was always damn right. But I was still alive, and, well, I was grateful for it. I didn't feel good about it. Maybe that's not the point. Maybe me breathing was old Tom's last strike against the forces of Terre. I didn't like that, either. I put it away, forgot about it. Clients come first, as old Tom would say. The paranormal Pinkertons have a sort of working relationship with different organizations. I didn't know the details, but old Tom told me they pay a yearly retainer to have access to our services if they need them. The archaeology department at Boston University provides a decent amount of work. They sometimes send in their students to restore old buildings, and we get asked to check on those old buildings and make sure there isn't anything, uh, crazy going on with them. You know, no hauntings or anything like that. Most of the time it ends up being nothing or easily fixed, but we've helped them out enough in the past that we ended up on the speed dial. So that's why I was meeting with Violet Hunter now, a 20-year-old college student who was working on restoring a colonial-era mansion as part of a school project. Apparently she had some concerns about the house and wanted to get a fresh set of eyes to take a look at it. Good thing I was in the area. I didn't know any of the details on it yet, Violet was supposed to tell me in person. Not typical, I usually meet the client on site. I did know what Violet looked like, though, and truth be told, I was looking forward to the meeting. It isn't every day my job leads me to dates with hopefully pretty and normal human girls. Unless you count encounters with evil witches. I don't count encounters with evil witches. Before I could get lost in the thought, Miss Hunter walked through the door of the diner. I waved her over to the table as she talked to the greeter, and she gave a cheerful smile and sat down on the opposite side of me in the booth. Violet was a pretty young woman with long, frizzy, copper-colored hair. Her face was dotted with freckles, and she spoke with a hint of an Irish accent, which I found cute. It trilled on the ears wonderfully. She was shorter than me, I noticed. When you're less than six feet tall, you notice these things about a woman. She was dressed in jeans and nice boots and a big gray coat I thought covered her nice. Flattered the body, you know? I don't want to give the wrong impression about Violet. It wasn't like she was wearing anything from the Paris fashion shows or anything crazy like that. But everything she wore just looked like it fit on a girl like her. Sort of girl who had a cheerful smile and spoke with that slight hint of Irish. Try too hard and it doesn't work, don't try it all and you're a slob, but Violet got the balance just right. Ahem. Focus, Russo. She's a client and you're a detective. She held out her hand and I shook it. Hi, my name is Violet Hunter, Detective Sean Russo. I pulled out my identification, one of my real ones. Got it in one. 
She looked at and nodded. I'll tell you whatever information you think is important, Detective Russo. Just let me know. I had my laptop up in front of me and pulled up my case notes. First things first, I'd like you to tell me everything you find important, Miss Hunter. Tell me about yourself and your project. What caused you concern? How'd you end up needing to give the paranormal Pinkertons a call? She looked eager to speak, but looked at me coyly. This isn't going to be normal. I don't want you to think I'm a conspiracy nut. All Pinkertons are, happily, conspiracy nuts. It comes with the job and we get tinfoil hats on orientation and everything. I gave her my best confidence smile, the one I gave to all my best clients in real estate or my current life. I know it sounds strange, Miss Hunter, but I guarantee you, you are not the weirdest conversation I've had today. I'll start small. Are you Irish-American or Irish? She smiled. Accent always gives me away. I am Irish, Irish-Irish, and I'm only here because I'm attending Boston University. How did I end up in this situation? Where to start? Well, for one thing, she braced herself. I've always been able to see, well, what's past the, I don't know what you call it, the fog, the veil, normalcy, the curtain, real life, consensus reality, the shadows. It's very common with Irishmen, you know. The whole country is packed with fairies and magic. You learn to be cautious with that sort of thing early on. I didn't react, and this encouraged her. Anyway, I'm only a sophomore at BU this year, but I'm an archaeology major and did some work during a gap year for the Irish Preservation Society. So I took the chance and was accepted to help you restore old buildings, even though they usually only let juniors and seniors do it. It was great. I went around to different buildings, assessed their historical value, came up with a plan to decide what should be preserved and what should be replaced while keeping things at a reasonable cost, then directed the team to do the actual restoration, and all under some of the most experienced and honored professors in the world. They even let us do it for college credit. So this was the third house I was allowed to work on, and the first I would lead, and under the dean himself. The house is a colonial-era mansion built before the American Revolution, almost 300 years old. It's known locally as the Rue Castle Manor, and still owned by the family, too. Jacob Rue Castle and his wife Laura lived there with an old manservant named Toller. Before I was allowed to work, me and the other hopefuls were sent out to the Rue Castle house to meet the owner personally. There were about ten students there, all juniors and seniors, and we all waited in the main foyer of this big drafty house. Taller took us into a side room one by one, but most of the interviews only went a few seconds. I wanted to ask what Rue Castle was talking to them about, but Toller told us there was, to, there was to be no talking while we waited, so I had no idea. I could see, though, that everyone coming out of the meeting looked confused. The whole experience struck me as a little strange, and I had no idea what Rue Castle was going to be like. Here Violet paused, as if lost in thought. I waited. Standard interview trick number one was not to interrupt the sudden pauses. Rue Castle was jolly, I guess. He smiled, he was cheerful, and he could tell the funniest jokes. There was just this one thing about him. When I first saw him, Violet gave me a strange look. Something in his eyes when he first saw me. I think he tried to hide it, but he looked, I don't know the word, hungry, maybe? like he was waiting for someone like me to show up. But I thought maybe I imagined it, because the second thing he did was break into a smile and hold out his hand. 
Hello, hello, hello. My name is Jacob Rucastle, but you can call me Jake. Pleased to meet you, Miss um, Hunter. Violet Hunter. Miss Hunter, excellent. So tell me a little bit about yourself, Miss Hunter, and don't be shy. Well, I told him my background that I was from Ireland, but was specifically studying the colonial era, and I didn't have a lot of experience in the United States as of yet, but my grades were excellent, and I believed that I had the skills necessary to do a good job on the house. It sort of all came out at once, and I rambled, but Rue Castle was absolutely fascinated with all of it. He hung on to every word, was interested in what I had to say, and asked detailed questions about my work that I answered as best as I could. And like I said, he was funny. Joke after joke after joke, and they all made me laugh. Before I knew it, twenty minutes had passed. Miss Rucastle, you are a remarkable woman. Yes, indeed, remarkable. Absolutely perfect for what we have in mind here at the Rucastle Manor. You are ideal. And he walked forward and grabbed my hand with both of his and shook it as hard as he could. You are chosen. It's settled. We'll send everyone else home and contact the dean with the choice. I was typing notes into my laptop at the time, but at this I looked at her. Well... I'm no fool, Detective Russo. It's fishy, right? Why me? Why did he reject everyone else that quickly? Who even was this guy? It was weird. But leadership positions are hard to get, and anyway, he hadn't actually said anything inappropriate. Well, except... I leaned in at this. Except, he was very interested in my hair. I had to admit that this was not what I was expecting to hear. Your hair. Look, it's hard to explain. But he kept talking about how much he loved my hair, the color, how wavy and beautiful it was. There was nothing, like, sexual or anything. It's really obvious when it's... Well, but I noticed it. He kept bringing it up. He was very particular about it. I thought this over. Okay, that's a little strange, I guess, but nothing absolutely crazy. Surely that isn't why you asked for me, Miss Hunter. It surely is not, said Violet. It was just the first weird thing. I started working at the house the next week. First it was just me, and I went in twice a week, on Tuesdays and Thursdays in the evenings. I thought this was a little strange, but Rue Castle said it was only going to be me alone for a couple of weeks in the pre-planning stages. You know, where I check out the whole house and try to figure out what is and isn't worth salvaging, and the house's historical value. He'd always crack a joke about money being tight in old families. I laughed, but those never quite landed like his others. Is this normal? The jokes? No, me being alone, right. I asked the archaeology department. They said it was a little unusual, but not unheard of. Apparently, Mr. Rucastle had told them that I had highly impressed them in my interview. Hmm. Okay. So you were at the house alone with Rucastle. Well, not exactly. There was also his wife, Laura. I didn't see her much. She was a very quiet woman, looked to be about 40 or so. She didn't smile much and didn't talk to me often either. I jotted this down. And there was also the manservant, right? Toller, you said? Oh, yes. Honestly, I think the man was often drunk, though I can't prove it. He had a big brown Rottweiler that they kept at the house for protection. He was really Toller's dog and didn't listen to Mr. Rucast or Laura and did not want to be my friend. I was told not to wander the grounds unless Toller had the dog chained up. 
To be fair to the beast, it was more interested in the mailman than me. Hmm. So did you feel safe at the house? Safe? Well, the answer is yes, I did, at first. Rue Castle was always very happy to see me, and I was treated very professionally. Taller might have been drunk a lot of the time, but he mostly kept his distance, and the dog didn't bother me unless I tried to go near it. I barely noticed Laura. And yet, there were things. What things? One day while I was surveying the below-ground areas of the house, I noticed that the wallpaper was peeling. I went over to take a closer look at it, and when I touched it, more of it peeled off. And I saw... Do you know the symbol of the Freemasons, that compass ruler thing? I think it was that. What do you mean, think it was that? It wasn't quite that, or more was added on, maybe? It was hard to make out being faded. I didn't recognize it exactly. Well, it wasn't too surprising, really. This area is very Mason-heavy, you know? That wasn't the worrying bit. The worrying part was when Rootcastle arrived. Go on. While I was looking at the symbol under the wallpaper, Rootcastle spotted me. I was cleaning the area underneath very carefully to see if I could make it more visible when Rootcastle stood behind me and said, Enjoying the view? I must have jumped a foot in the air. Rue Castle was standing directly, and I mean directly, behind me. I have no idea how he managed to get there without me noticing. I, well, I was just, I, I was so shocked I couldn't get any words out. He did seem mad, but he had tension in his eyes. A sort of sharp look. He said, relax, Miss Hunter. I understand that it is your job to look through the house like this. Yes, my family has had Freemasons in it, though I am not one myself. Not that there's anything wrong with the Masons. I must have blurted out something about how I was sure there wasn't, or something like that. My heart was beating something terrible. I didn't know this was here, but please, Miss Hunter. And he gave me an absolutely terrifying grin. You could see all of his teeth. Don't come to this part of the house again. Not until I look it over myself. If you do, and somehow his grin got even wider. Why, if you do, I might need a new student from the archaeology department. I whistled. So, what did you do in response to that? I made my excuses and left that night. But when I went back, I had a plan. I grinned. I like this girl. After being intimidated, she didn't back down. And that was... Well, I wanted to investigate this basement area, but I needed Rootcastle out of the way. Just for a moment. I wasn't going to do much, but I wanted to investigate that spot. So I got a friend to place a phone call to the house at about 7 o'clock, an hour after I arrived this Tuesday. She'd keep him talking, and that would give me a few minutes to investigate. So, did you manage to investigate? I did not. Because this time, Toller and the dog were waiting there for me, just sitting by that little stretch of wall. What did Toller do when he saw you? Oh, he didn't see me. I checked if he was there before I went down the steps using my phone camera. I laughed out loud at that. Excellent! Miss Hunter, you may just have the makings of a detective. She grinned. Well, I didn't end up finding anything in the end. Ah, but you didn't get caught, either, and you had the instincts to get me involved. 
Believe me, that's important. Well, maybe. Here Violet frowned. This was when I expressed my concerns to my advisor. I told him that Rue Castle was scaring me a little and they seemed to be hiding something. They gave me the contact information for the paranormal Pinkertons. Did they say why us, specifically? The Masonic symbol. Apparently that lot is considered squarely in your department and isn't really a police matter. I nodded. Fair enough. Okay, Miss Hunter, here is what I'll do for you. For the next week, I'll keep an eye out on the mansion to see if there's anything worth investigating closer. Based on what you told me, there is nothing truly actionable. The Masonic symbol is noteworthy but not uncommon on old buildings in this area. The Freemasons were very popular at one time. Rue Castle's behavior is the real red flag. Violet gave a big smile, all the stress gone out of her eyes. After a few more minutes, I hashed out the details of what would happen. I would stake out the building for the next week while Violet was there alone. She would keep me up to date on any discoveries or weird anomalies, and I would step in if there was an emergency. So, that was most of my week. I waited outside the mansion, the big partially dilapidated colonial era thing she described better than I ever could, and I watched from my car in a park across the street. Binoculars and everything. Must have looked like a peeping Tom. Rue Castle himself was a short, older, balding guy. He looked mostly harmless, and Violet seemed to get along well with him. Toller was a thin and wiry sort of guy, and older than Rue Castle. I only saw Laura on a couple of occasions, but she was pretty enough for her age, I guess. She never smiled. I saw the Rottweiler on a couple occasions, too. Nasty dog could tear a mail truck in half with its jaws and enjoy the mailman's screams. After each day, I'd sit down with Violet, who would tell me what she discovered about the place, but there wasn't much. He left that area of the basement guarded by Toller and the dog. When Violet casually asked about it, Rucastle simply said that he was hoping to examine it in some detail on his own first and hadn't gotten around to it yet. The meetings with Violet were a treat. Violet was a clever and lively girl, fascinated with the work of the Pinkertons. I told her some of my adventures. I liked to think I wasn't showing off, but I couldn't deny that it was nice to see her impressed. It was a nice pick-me-up after meeting with old Tom. But soon the week was up and there wasn't a lot to go off of. Rue Castle was weird and the whole thing with the Masonic symbol in the basement was a little strange, but nothing had happened. I sat down with Violet and told her it was mostly a dead letter. So you won't be staking out the house anymore? Well, there isn't really a reason to, I'm afraid. Besides, you won't be alone next week. But, Miss Hunter, please keep my number in mind. If anything happens, anything at all, feel free to call me. I'll drop what I'm doing and run. Violet smiled. I may just take you up on that, detective. We went our separate ways. There was no quick route to the highway, so I was still deep in the suburbs when I got a call from Violet. She sounded frantic. Detective Russo, please, I need you to get over here now. What's going on? I went back to, well, I found a way into the basement, but I was spotted. Luckily, it was late, and I was still on a side road. I swerved the car around. Where are you? What happened? I'm hiding in a closet now, but I managed to see my way inside. I don't know how to describe it. There were these men, and... Slow down. Deep breaths. There was a noise like wood breaking, and Violet screamed on the other end. No, please, I won't tell anyone. Leave me alone. There was a crackling on the other end of the line. I resisted the urge to call out Violet's name. It would alert them that she was speaking with someone, but internally I swore. I drove up to the mansion.
The Rue Castle estate was truly massive, and on a dark, cloudy night, it was intimidating. At least three stories, two massive wings in the front, and a huge front drive that made an asphalt U. I tore up the path and swerved to a halt in front of the front door. This time, I had my Glock on me, my phone, and the crucifix. I also wore the Ring of Dispel. No lanterns today. I was in a rush. No need to give them warning, either. I sprinted into the house, gun drawn. The door was unlocked. No sign of the dog, either. I kept my eyes peeled for it. The interior of the mansion was dusty, dreary, and musty. It looked like it really did need restoration. The whole place creaked like an accordion. I tried to remember the layout from the photos Violet had shown me and made my way to the basement. It was down a partially hidden staircase behind a door in the kitchen. I sprinted through, watching out for the members of the household. The basement had an even muskier smell than the upstairs. It was mostly dusty and drab, with wooden floors. I started investigating and found the closet that Violet must have been ripped out of. The door was wide open. I checked the closet for clues and was rewarded. Underneath an upturned bucket, Violet had managed to hide her phone. They still didn't know I was on the way. I whistled. What a woman! I checked out the phone. She had managed to type out a single note into a text message. Turn the screw. Turn the screw? I didn't know what that meant, but I had a starting point. I went straight for the Masonic symbol behind the wallpaper on the back wall, the one that Violet had told me about. I had to fold back some of the wallpaper, but it was still there. Faded, but there. The Masonic symbol is a compass straddling a diagonal straight edge with a giant G in the middle. Turn the screw. Turn the screw, I muttered to myself. There, at the top of the compass, was a screw. And if I looked closely, using my phone as a flashlight, there was the tiniest indent. Using my fingernail, I wedged my way into it. With some effort, I managed to get it to turn. Soon I had it nearly unscrewed. I worked desperately. I had no idea what they were doing with Violet, and I needed to figure out what was going on. When the screw finally came all the way out, I waited expectantly. Nothing happened. I felt the pressure, heard Violet's screams in my mind. What was I missing? Slammed my hand on the symbol in frustration, and half the wall swung backwards, revealing more stairs underneath. I walked down, gun drawn. I put away my cell phone and put on my game face. I do old Tom proud. The stairs leading down were made of stone, and torches, yes, burning sticking cloth torches, lined the walls. The lower I got the more foreboding it felt, like I was descending into the bowels of hell. This time, despite my fear for Violet, I didn't sprint. I walked slowly, gun in front of me, senses on high alert. I didn't know what I was walking into. When I finally reached the bottom, I kept myself flattened against the wall, crouched low, and observed the bizarre scene in front of me. Strange arcane symbols lined the wall of a dungeon-like chamber, and I mean line the walls. There was only enough free space to make sure they didn't overlap. Some of them I recognized as Masonic symbols, the eye, compass, and straight edge, but some were foreign to me. I think I saw the triangle with lines and swirls from Jack's puppeteer. I know I saw some from Tom's books on magic and necromancy, except with all the jumbling chaos I couldn't tell what they were trying to make. Everything the Masons did was couched in extremely heavy symbolism. Sometimes it was just small lies to make big lies, turn men from Christ. Then there's the second level. 
There's the lodge where lonely old men meet to get away from their wives. And there's the real Freemasons, picked from the Chosen of the First, the ones who run the show, the most dedicated to the Freemason cause. And they were having a club meeting right in front of me. Violet was in the center of the room, tied to a stone slab, while men in black robes surrounded her and chanted in a foreign language I was pretty sure was nonsense, or at least made up by the Masons for the Masons. It wasn't Latin, but something like a devil's tongue, all sharp angles biting the tongue as much as twisting it. The center black robe chanted at counterpoint to the rest, tying things to Violet's hair and twisting it into deliberate knots. At one end of the room was an enormous blue flame, somehow floating in the middle of a glass cylinder. It cast the whole thing in an eerie glow. It guttered and flared at odd times. The symbols would glow in its light, like stars hidden then revealed by clouds. They were cut into stone, nothing reflective in their make. I didn't trust it. It didn't take a detective to figure out what was going on. Violet was being sacrificed. Luckily, the men in the robes were turned towards her as they chanted, but one in her head was holding a knife. Going by the height, I guessed Rootcastle himself. I needed to do something. I could start shooting, but Violet was a hostage. Besides, if half of what old Thomas told me about the Masons is true, bullets might not work. I needed them to get away from her fast. That's when I came up with my grand idea, crazy as it was. I crouched down as low as I could and crept quickly and quietly to the gigantic blue flame in the glass cylinder. Well, it's not a crazy idea if it works, right? I stood up tall and yelled, Impressive show, folks! The chanting stopped abruptly, almost comically, as everyone turned to look at me. Few of the men started expressing their surprise. I gave them my best smile, the one I give to people who sign their contracts. But I'm bringing down the house! I body-slammed the glass cylinder as hard as I could as everyone gasped. There was a tremendous shake, and I thought for a moment I hadn't hit it hard enough. But no. One of the legs gave way, and with a mighty crash, the cylinder fell, exploding glass everywhere. The flame inside of it leapt up to a massive height, burning the hair off the arm I had put up to shield my eyes, then started eating its way around the room. It almost crawled, flares shooting across stones and the symbols carved into the walls. Then the head of the flame came forward and the arms out again. Boy, did that do the trick. The men scattered. Some of their hoods fell off, revealing their faces. Turns out they were just old men all along, and the one with the knife really was Rucastle. Toller ran at me with a knife he pulled from his cloak, and I shot him three times center mass. He fell hard into the fire. It ate through him like he was doused in gasoline. I sprinted towards Violet and removed the gag from her mouth. I didn't have a knife on me to cut the ropes binding her, but instead yanked each limb out one at a time. I hoped Violet would forgive me for the rope burn. Detective Russo, thank God! She had other things on her mind than some slight discomfort. Thank God is right, I can't believe I made it. But we need to go and go right now! The fire was getting close. Stopped by Toller's death, the old men regained their senses and streamed towards the exit, which was rapidly getting encroached upon by the growing blue flame. I grabbed Violet and sprinted towards the stairs. The old men took little notice of us, worried about their own skins. They pushed each other at every opportunity. Another of them fell screaming into the fire. 
This one fell and fell deeper into the blue blaze as he burned. Violet screamed. Whatever she had seen in Ireland, it wasn't anything like this. I wasn't gentle with them. I had to pistol whip more than one cultist on my way out. Another grabbed Violet as she stayed close to me, clutching at my coat, and I shot him dead. He slumped to the floor with a surprised look on his face. My conscience was not affected. Behind me, I heard Rue Castle say, Fools! You're letting them escape! We ran up the stairs as fast as we could, me pulling Violet along as much as possible without her falling. We almost made it when we were met at the top of the steps with a snarl. Taller's Rottweiler awaited us, looking an awful lot like a hound of hell. He snarled and barked viciously. Behind us were the climbing cultists led by Rue Castle. You could also see the flames growing behind them. One of the cultists touched the fire, and he was pulled into the now indigo depths. They ran at us. The dog snapped its jaws when I turned back. Its bloodshot eyes stared at my gun, and it snapped its foaming jaws when I so much as twitched. With a yell, Rue Castle caught us. He gave a deranged grin and grabbed Violet's arm, wrenching her out of my grasp. Now, Miss Hunter, we can't have you getting away. I had my gun. I could shoot... Either the dog or the man. But I had a better idea. I ran forward and the dog leapt at me, howling. Giving my own yell, I dropped to the stairs, an act of desperation more than athletic prowess. The leaping dog flew past me and landed directly onto Rue Castle's neck. The Masonic cultist gave a gargling scream as he fell backwards down the stairs, into the mass of cultists and the flames. Violet gasped, trying to draw air into her lungs as she fell backwards with him, but I caught her by the wrist and managed to pull her up. Together we escaped the stone stairway and were back in the main house. The flames had managed to spread, perhaps finding crevices in that basement and climbing their way through them to the surface, and the whole of Rue Castle Manor was already ablaze. Though the eerie blue flame climbed steadily through the floor, vents and chimney, most of the fire was natural yellow, orange, and red. Something about it. I couldn't place it. Even as I say it, it sounds impossible. But it happened. Violet knew the house well, and in the smoke and flame she managed to navigate through to the exit. This time I was being led by her, past burning pieces of wood crashing down around me through thick smoke and ever-increasing heat. Once the scream of an old man cut through the night. A horrible sound, but we didn't stop to check on it. We couldn't. Just another sound to haunt my nightmares. We made it to the front door, and just in front of it, my good old beat-up blue Hyundai Sonata. Violet threw herself into the shotgun seat, and we didn't waste time hightailing it. Off of the huge estate and deep into the Boston night. Behind us, the mansion blazed in a final inferno, climbing up the chimneys as if to reach heaven itself. The flames rising as if to devour the house and its inhabitants, then just as suddenly collapsing into nothingness. Rue Castle Manor and the evil that was committed there was no more. Nothing remained except a collapsed basement and smoldering beams. You couldn't even tell how big it had been. Violet's told me that the Dean has gone missing. We decided not to worry about that. Sean Russo, signing off. For now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio, licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, international license. This episode was written 
and performed by Anthony Marchetta. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Ken Dickinson is our sound editor, audio editor. Visit us on Facebook. Read articles on superversivesf.com. And wherever podcasts are distributed, you'll find us. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts or email us at pinkertonsghosts at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>